Good afternoon and welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. How are you? 28th of April 2021. Thanks for joining me. I've got some really interesting guests for you as usual. Please drop me a tweet during the programme. BBG Richie will do you. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, I had a lovely email overnight from Lenora, and she was listening with great interest yesterday to a segment in the monologue about how face mask wearing and lockdowns have impeded the development of children. And Lenora and her fella, her hubby Liam, will be on the programme this hour to talk about their three-year-old son who's got cerebral palsy. And he's affected by this, and they want to talk about that, so I've invited them on. So Lenora and Liam will be on this hour. I can't wait for that. In the second hour of the programme, we're off to Arizona, Santa Cruz County in Arizona, to speak to Sheriff David Hathaway who won the race for Sheriff there in a landslide. He won a landslide victory, and he ran basically on an anti-lockdown platform. Fascinating guy, David Hathaway. He reached out to this programme. He'll be on with me in the second hour. So it's a busy one. It's never any other way. And like I said, you know how to join in, so join in. Join in, I say. Join in and be merry. Fill your boots, man is what I say. Ah, it's gone very wintry now, so it has, hasn't it? It's gone very wintry. I'm in good form, though. I've got new headphones. Me new headphones arrived. Me new runner's headphones, because the headphones I was using to listen to music while running weren't very good. So I've got new headphones, and I'm very excited about that. What a gripping life I do lead. I get excited about deliveries. Anyway, all right. And uh, what? there was something... I'll go, will I go into this now? Will I hold off? Will I go into it now? I might hold off. Funny thing, a friend of mine who works at the BBC, she's a lady, a real lady, and sometimes gets in touch with me to tell me things. And she got in touch with me a couple of weeks back to say, have you noticed this? And I said, I kind of have. What's the this? What? Did she ask me, had I noticed? Well, I'll give you an example. I was listening to Radio 5 Live this morning while I was out running, okay? I choose a different one every day, and I turned on Radio 5 Live. It was the Your Call segment after 9 o'clock. Rachel Burden was in Scotland, in Aberdeen, looking ahead to the forthcoming election, of course, right? Scottish parliamentary election. And she had a number of people... I think she was set up in a cafe or a restaurant and she had a number of people there. Now, what amused me was this morning was that the people that she introduced and the place where she was based, it was um, run by a man of colour and the other primary guest at the beginning was a woman of colour. Now, you might think that doesn't mean anything. What does it mean, Richie? Well, my friend at the BBC said to me, She's been very good to me over the years. I met her when I was in London back in 2013. She said to me, Richie, have you noticed these days increasingly how guests tend to be either people of colour 
or women. Women, if it's to talk about sport, but people of colour, if it's a vox pop or if it's, uh, you know, any kind of interview. And I said, I kind of have. And it made me laugh this morning. That um, and now listen, those people of colour—they're just as Scottish as Haggis, maybe I don't know, second, third generation. But the point is that the BBC is going out of its way when it is sourcing guests on any subject, on any topic, to get minorities. To the point that if you didn't know any better, you would—if you watched—if you started watching the BBC from the planet Zog, say, or the planet Uranus, maybe. You might imagine that white people are the minority in the UK. It really is kind of funny and kind of obvious as well. And I've noticed this on the BBC when... So Radio 5 Live is the BBC's tabloid radio station, whereas BBC Radio 4 would be the broadsheet station. You know what I mean? BBC Radio 5 Live is aimed at men and women who might be more inclined to read the, the Daily Mail, maybe, the, the, the Mirror, maybe, or The Sun or The Star, and the opposite with Radio 4. So Radio 5 Live does more sport than any other station. And every Monday, and sometimes Tuesday, it invites supporters on to talk about their clubs, and usually these supporters will have a podcast of their own. And I swear to God and to Sonny Jesus, it's always... Not nearly always. Not most of the time. It is always women. And my friend said to me, this is a policy. And I said to my friend, I want proof of it. Send me, surreptitiously if you can, send me some documentation, some instructions. And my friend said, ah, they're too clever for that big boy. They're too clever. These are oral instructions. Find the minority, find the woman at all costs. And only as a last resort get the bloke on. This is all to do with box ticking and diversity targets. And it's completely at odds with reality. Like it or lump it, the vast, 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 great, great, great majority of women couldn't give a fiddlers about soccer. Now, of course, some women love it. Some women play it. Some women are fanatics, of course, but they are the exception. The vast majority of women are like El Frogo Tremendo, the amphibian that I share my life with. She couldn't give less of an arse about soccer. But listening to the BBC, you would think the opposite was true. It's funny stuff when you can see through it. Uh, but the BBC's too cute to be caught out because obviously newspapers like The Telegraph and maybe the Daily Mail, would go to town on auntie. They'd go to town on auntie, as the BBC is known, for doing it. But they do it all the time. But we want to talk about Scottish independence and the forthcoming election. Get some people on. Make sure they're people of colour. <laughs> yeah. Last time I looked, people of colour made up, I don't know, 3%, 5%, 7%. Black people, 3%, I think. Overall, maybe 11%, 13%, I don't know. But you wouldn't know that if you were to be paying attention to the BBC. All right, all right. Am I talking through me backside, am I? I often am, but not today. Today I'm giving it a miss. Giving it up for Lent. Lent 2022. Now, did you see this on my website, richieallen.co.uk? This is public service broadcasting. Do not allow any of your children, whether they be preschool, primary school or secondary school, wear a mask. Don't. Don't allow them 
wear a mask. It's terribly, terribly unhealthy. But particularly don't allow them to wear a mask if they are engaging in any sort of exercise activity because it could kill them. Did you see this on the website? Maggie Williams is a junior, a student in Bend, Oregon. That's the state of Oregon, right? Um, She broke a school record in an 800-metre race last week. She won the race, but she fainted as she crossed the line. She was running the race, as were her competitors, while wearing a face mask. Running 800 metres, two laps of the track, at top speed, wearing a face mask. As she was about to cross the line, she collapsed, she blacked out, and she remained unconscious for about two minutes, apparently. She thinks the mask had something to do with it. I think she's right. Here she is speaking to a local affiliate. I felt like I just wasn't being able to get a full breath and multiple times of that happening, not being able to get enough air. It just, I just felt super dizzy and then eventually passed out. Clearly in the past, this has never happened. And then this race that I was wearing a mask, it did happen, which I don't think is a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. You shouldn't be wearing a mask when you're running or cycling or rowing or jogging or whatever. You know, I run 6K most days of the week. If I was to wear a face covering, I'm pretty sure I'd have a heart attack. And you know, I was tempted sorely not to wear a face mask while running. But last year, when face masks were, when the government said they were compulsory, I was tempted just to prove a point to wear one for an hour or two so that I could come on and explain to you just how terrible they are. But I didn't in the end. I have enough difficulty breathing as it is without wearing face coverings. Madness, isn't it? uh, Fell flat on her face, looking not to break her nose and to disfigure herself. Wearing a mask. What sort of moron says, wear a mask while you're running? Uh, Incidentally, since the incident last week, the Oregon Health Authority released a statement saying that they have revised the guidance. So now you don't have to wear the mask while competing. While running, you don't need to wear it anymore. Don't wear it. But before the race and after the race, you have to wear it, they said. Yes, don't wear masks. They're dangerous. They're deadly dangerous. They could be deadly dangerous. If you listen to this programme regularly enough, you might remember a lady from County Meath. Uh, County Meath was on this programme uh, a few weeks back. She was a lovely lady, very, very articulate, obviously very intelligent. And she's a good, very good writer too, with her own blog. Her name is Jean Murray. And Jean-Anne put me on to this this morning. My friend and colleague Jean-Anne was very good, got a very sharp set of eyes there and points me in the direction of interesting things from from Mike, from God's country. So Jean-Anne said, look at this, Richie. So Jean has been the subject of a nasty article in the Irish Times. Why? Well, because she has the temerity to ask questions about vaccine safety and about vaccine passports and lockdown. So the Irish Times did a hit piece on Jean. When Jean was on with me, she was very good. She was very open. She had some good points to make. Obviously very, I would say, very lucid, very bright. But the Irish media has gone to town on this lady. And there is an RTE programme called Claire Byrne Live. And they did a hit piece on Jean Murray as well. They recorded an interview with her and then made, not so much made fun, but before playing the interview they reminded, or the presenter reminded the audience before hearing the interview that this woman is a bit mad, more or less, right? Dreadful behaviour. I'm not going to play you that segment. But they did have a woman from Dublin City University on. Her name is Eileen Cullity. Eileen is no different than any of the advisors 
in the UK, the ones who advise the UK government, she's all for the masks and the vaccines. And she had this to say, Eileen Cullity, an academic from Dublin City University. Listen carefully to what she says about those family members who might be asking a few questions. And I suppose what we really want to know is if this comes to our door, to our families, our friendships, how do we deal with it? What is the right strategy? Now, that was the presenter. So if this comes to our door, she means if conspiracy theories come in our families and into our homes, what do we do? Here's the academic Eileen Cullity. Well, it's a very difficult scenario and Amanda's story uh, makes that really clear. But if viewers are worried about somebody, it's important to intervene quite early because if it goes too far and if somebody goes too far down that rabbit hole, they can become unreachable. Well, we often talk about conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists as though they're all the same and it's one homogeneous block, but in actual fact... There are huge differences between the kinds of things people believe from completely implausible claims about 5G um, implants to, you know, more things that are at least humanly possible. And then also people's level of belief varies quite a lot. So I think that's one of the tricky things and why you have to judge how far along is this person? Are they still just asking questions about it? And would an intervention be helpful here? Okay, Dr. Quality, thank you very much. Yeah, are they still just asking questions? And if, if they're just asking questions, maybe an intervention might be in order. An intervention. You might be asking questions. Like, why did that guy drop dead in Denver after having his vaccine? Why have all those old people died after having their vaccines in old people's homes in England and in Ireland? Those types of questions. Legitimate, reasonable, rational questions. But if they do, maybe an intervention is in order. That's the Irish broadcaster, RTE, Radio Telefisheren. And on the same programme, one of Claire Byrne's reporters was out and about asking people about their own experiences with conspiracy theorists in their families. So they were speaking to people who are a bit concerned about their brothers and sisters and maybe their friends because they're on Facebook and they're reading the conspiracy theories. This is kind of funny, this, and sad as well, and ironic. Are these people, are these family members and friends that you would have had concerns about previously before COVID? Right. This is good. Listen to the answer. To be honest, no, for the most part, I would have said they would have kind of stuck on the news and believed most of what they've seen. But now... <laughs> I love it. They would have stuck on the news and they would have believed most of what they've seen. I love it. I would have said they would have kind of stuck on the news and believed most of what they've seen. But now it's it really seems to have turned complete 180, I suppose. They don't trust half of what that's been said anymore. It's just like they're ruled by the, the mob on Facebook, honestly, nowadays. It does, it is, it's a bit mad to me to see. The longer this goes on, I feel like the more people seem to be falling into this and not caring about guidelines and restrictions. Not caring about guidelines and restrictions. Yeah, my family, yeah. They used to stick on the news and believe most of what they heard, but not anymore. They've gone 180 now. Wonder why. Wonder why. That's the Irish media for you now. Quarter past five at BBG Richie. That's my Twitter handle. Do drop me a tweet between now and the end of the programme on any issue. I'll be glad to hear from you and I'll read them out as we go along. Hi to Smog, who says, that, that's Debs, by the way, who says, Richie, can you give a shout out to our friend Dean? We're bringing him into our fold and we've picked him up for some love and or and or. How you doing, Dean? Thanks, Debs. Uh, hi to Faisal. Hi to uh, Pirate Rob. 
as well. How are you doing, Pirate Rob? Hi to Lola. Lola says, Richie, they're all lying bastards. Don't trust or believe a word they say. It's when they say shit like, oh, restrictions will end. No going backwards. You just know by their sinister track record, it's going to be the complete opposite or worse. Now, Lola is referring to information that was um, was in the public domain last evening. In fact, one of the callers on the phone-in programme last night brought it up with me. That is that councils are recruiting COVID marshals. Dipsticks who will wear high-vis jackets emblazoned with COVID marshal. Hands, face and space. So councils or local authorities are recruiting some of these people. And some of the contracts run to 2023. So you could be forgiven for wondering, why do we need any COVID marshals if Boris Johnson is telling the truth and that after June 21st there will be no return to lockdown or, or no return to any of these silly arbitrary restrictions? Well, of course, the answer is obvious. There isn't any genuine plan to never return to restrictions and lockdowns. Lockdowns will be a thing of the future. They're a thing of the present and they will be a thing this autumn, uh, this coming winter and autumns and winters thereafter. Be under no illusion about that. That's a fact. So uh, they're recruiting them on contracts. A number of councils, uh, the Telegraph broke this yesterday, I believe, and uh, a number of you are saying, don't pull, of course, They'll blame the double mutant Indian strain, no doubt, for reintroducing lockdowns in the autumn towards the end of the summer. They'll say it's getting out of hand. They'll say the Indian mutation is in the UK. All of this is coming. And I don't say this now to depress you because we've had a good period of weather. We've had a good couple of weeks. It's a bit wintry today. Your spirits might be up and that's good. Keep them up. But you've got to box clever as well. You, you've got to face the music. None of this stuff is going away, regardless of what they tell you when they're being interviewed on Sky News or the BBC. All right. As it stands, uh, speaking from Downing Street right now, Health Secretary Matt Hancock is standing alongside Jonathan Van Tam, the country's chief, excuse me, deputy chief medical officer. They're with with another woman. There's a woman with them who I I don't know who she is. No idea who she is. But if there's anything interesting, if anything is said that is of interest to you and me, I'll bring it to you at some stage during the next couple of hours. 18 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Speaking of these restrictions never, never being removed entirely and returning to them over and over again. Julia Hartley Brewer had a very interesting exchange with Lisa Nandy from Wigan on her programme on Talk Radio this morning. Now, Lisa Nandy was, I think she still is, I just don't care anymore. I think she's still the shadow business secretary or is she the shadow foreign secretary? Which is it? I don't care anymore. But Julia Hartley Brewer wanted to take her up on the point of easing restrictions now. Why aren't we doing it now? We should be doing it now. This is Julia Hartley Brewer. Lisa Nandy doesn't agree. It's an interesting exchange. Shouldn't we be moving the roadmap sooner, given that the data tells us that we can move to earlier dates? Well, it might be possible. We have regular briefings with the SAGE scientists. They haven't said that it's safe to move more quickly. Have you asked them why not? Unravel. Well, because the, they're, they're worried that we will unravel all of the progress. Why? On what basis? Made. Do vaccinations and, not know, work? You know, I, I, well, not everybody has had the vaccine. That's no, no, all the people, no, but everybody about. who needs the vaccine who's at high risk has had the vaccine. Do vaccinations not work? 
Well, but you still have transmission amongst the younger population who haven't yet had the vaccine. We've got to make sure we don't unravel this progress. Julia, I really do support what you say about the impact that lockdown has had. I've seen it for myself in Wigan. But the truth is, if we end up getting this wrong now, we'll end up in another lockdown. And that absolutely Why would we happen. do that? We've had the vaccinated population. Why would we end up in another lockdown? Because we haven't finished vaccinating the population. So why would we end up in another lockdown? 99% of the people who are at risk of dying of this disease. This is the threat we're constantly given. If we go, if we do it too fast, we're told, we're not cautious, then we'll end up in another lockdown. How? Why would we end up in another lockdown if the, Look, if all been... the majority of the vast majority of people who are at risk of dying or being hospitalised with this virus have had the vaccine? Do you think the vaccine doesn't work or do you think it works? If it works, how could that possibly happen? We've already had new variants emerging. We've seen one in Kent, which was identified there. Well, that's an argument to stay in lockdown forever. In that's India, never coming out of lockdown, Lisa. That's, it, staying, in, that's even, staying in our homes, wearing a mask, never seeing anyone forever. It absolutely isn't. This has got to be the last lockdown. And, you know, if we, we've, seen, we've seen the success of this lockdown, Julia. You can argue against it all you like, but the truth is we've seen the success of it. Those are, figures are on the front pages of the, the newspapers today. And that, well, the vaccination programme has been an enormous success and we need to continue the momentum of that. But we also need to make sure that we get the vaccine out to people, to, to the entire population, before we find new variants emerging that are vaccine resistant. We cannot afford to unravel the progress now. We cannot afford to go into another lockdown. Okay. Well, I look forward to Labour voting against the next lockdown then, Lisa. Lisa Nandy. Lisa Nandy. I wonder... I mean, humility is dead. We know this. People have lost the capacity to be humble and to be honest. And, you know, to, 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 to knock the chip off of their shoulders and just admit that they were duped. People can't do that, you see. Narcissism reigns. People haven't got the courage to admit they were duped. You had the vaccines then, did you? Did you, you dipstick? You did. Yeah, I did. I had the vaccines. And you still can't go anywhere. They, they, they want you to still keep wearing masks and socially distancing and they want you to carry around vaccine passports and they want you to take booster jabs in the autumn. You were hard, weren't you, you dipstick? No, no, I wasn't hard. No, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, no, you were hard. They had you. They duped you. You're a twat. You're a muppet. You're a moron. You had their vaccines. You believe they're bullshit and you're not going anywhere. You're still stuck in this madness. How'd you, how'd you like them apples? I don't do that to anybody, by the way. I'm too mature for that. I do fantasise about it, though. I look at people. I, I, I ran past the guy this morning who was on a footpath coming towards me as I was running down Liverpool Street and the dickhead had a, a mask on him, a huge mask, going down right by his Adam's apple, coming right up over his nose to the point it was nearly covering his eyes. A complete, I'm not going to use the word spastic, but there you are, I use it anyway. A muppet. You know, how'd you like them apples, dickhead? You had your vaccine, did you? And the other one, did you? Lovely, yeah? And you're off to Crete next week. Oh, no, you're not. You're not going anywhere. That's right, yeah, yeah. Exactly, right, okay. Yeah, all right. I just needed to vent there for a minute. I just vented. I'm feeling much better. Jackie Gleason, Smokey and the Bandit too. That's me now. What time is it now? 23 minutes past five o'clock. Uh, we can, by the way, we can, I can take you through the magic of the internet right over to Downing Street where one of the most useless, depressingly thick, moronic Muppets that ever bestrode God's green earth. We know him as Matt Hancock, dipstick. Uh, he's been telling the assembled press and the watching public from Downing Street that the most vulnerable groups will be given another jab 
before next winter. Oh, God. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Here is Matt Hancock. Here he is. I'm delighted to be able to tell you... He's delighted now. ...that we've secured a further 60 million doses of the (laughs) Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine that will be used alongside others as part of our booster shot programme later this year. The booster shot programme. And that is all about protecting the progress that we've made. Protecting the progress that we've made. Is there any septuagenarian or octogenarian in the country, again, with the humility or the courage to start screaming abuse at this clown and say, what? You told us that if we had two jabs, we'd be basically protected from coronavirus. Only a couple of weeks ago, you told us that the vaccines should and more than likely would protect us against any emerging variants. What are you now talking about booster jabs before winter? Or will they just roll up their sleeves in September and have the boosters? They'll roll up their sleeves and they'll have the boosters. We have a clear route out of this crisis, but this is no time for complacency. It's a time for caution. I wish something would. I'm not going to finish that sentence. So we can keep the virus under control while we take the steps safely back to normal life. So please remember that the basics of hands, face, space and fresh air. And crucially, if, like me, you get the call, join me and get the jab. Fuck off, you fucking lunatic. Matt Hancock there, speaking from Downing Street, and a bunch of goon journalists watch on. Presumably they're asking questions of him now. None of them will ask a question. None of them will have the courage or the integrity to do their jobs and to annihilate that sack of human excrement. Annihilate him. Lies. We have a clear path out of it now. Lies. There is no path out of it. Telegraph reported last night they have plans for these restrictions to go on and on and on and on. Who is going to stop it? Ah, I won't bring you any more from that press conference. I'll take a tune and when we come back from that I'll have my first guests on the programme. It's the Richie Allen Radio Show live from Salford. In the northwest of the UK, 26 minutes past 5 o'clock it is. Wednesday's programme, it's the 28th of April 2021. Uh, this is the Hollies then. Speaking of Manchester. First guest next, don't forget Sheriff David Hathaway, live from Arizona in hour two. The Hollies, long, cool woman in a black dress, that's the one. On a Your Richie Allen radio show, Wednesday's programme. Very interesting news yesterday, well, depressing news yesterday. It um, was covered by pretty much everybody, the BBC, the broadsheet newspapers, the tabloids. And that was the story of the impact that the lockdowns and restrictions have had on the development of children and the development of children's language skills. It's basically an epidemic of, of its own. And we heard on the programme yesterday from people who work with children who explained how devastating it is for children, uh, how how devastating it has been and how much it's going to set them back in terms of their education and development in the coming years. And I had a lovely email from Lenora overnight who emailed me to talk about her son. Uh, She has a three-year-old son with cerebral palsy 
And uh, before all of this, before the lockdowns, he had an NHS team helping him with his um, with, with with his motor skills, with his speech skills, uh, uh, physio, occupational therapy, play therapy, and all of that. But this all stopped during uh, the lockdown, of course, and he missed effectively three seasons, months and months of this therapy. And Lenora said that it's supposed to be starting back up now, or it did recently, but the mask wearing is going to be an impediment to her son um, developing. It's not going to be good for him to be working with people wearing masks. And I'm really glad to say that Lenora and Liam uh, join me on the programme now from Yorkshire. Lenora, Liam, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Really Hello, good of you to come on. How are you doing? Thanks for doing it. I really appreciate it. So tell us about your little boy then, Lenora. What, what's his name? And, and talk to us about what life was like for him before the lockdown. Hi. Well, um, his name's Orion. Um, before the lockdown, like you said, he had a brilliant NHS team around him. He had his physiotherapist, speech therapist, um, occupational therapist for the equipment and stuff. He had a play therapist from the council through the portage service. And they had an amazing relationship. She'd come, like, sing songs to him, do different rhymes with him and stuff, and a lot of sign language as well. And obviously with sign language, one of the first things we learnt is that it's very important to see lip movements at the same time because lots of signs are quite similar. You need to see what's being said. Um, But, yeah, it all stopped overnight, including his swimming and everything as well, which is kind of... Luckily, yeah. starting back up now. Baby groups, interaction with other kids, everything stopped overnight. And through the first lockdown, he couldn't even exercise outdoors because he can't run, cycle, or walk. They were the only allowed forms of exercise outdoors. So, well, we've dropped out now momentarily. Um, let me um, sort that out. Let me sort that out and call back. It happens sometimes. We've got Lenora and Liam on the line, by the way. Um, They're in Yorkshire. Lenora got in touch with the programme overnight to talk about the impact that the lockdown has had on on her son based on a conversation that we were having uh, yesterday during the monologue segment of the programme because a number of experts were speaking out yesterday saying that the impact on the development of children was was severe. Let's get Lenora and, and Liam back on the programme now. I'm a th- thousand apologies for that. I don't know what happened, but we're back. <laughs> anyway, look, these things happen on, on live radio. Yeah. So you were explaining brilliantly there how how he was coming along before the lockdown and then everything stopped during the lockdown and you said it was very difficult for him because he couldn't walk or run and he couldn't cycle. Now, did anybody, when, when this lockdown came in last, last March and they said, right, this has got to stop, was, was there any concern expressed by anybody about what that would do for boys like yours? No, um, not at all. Basically, we were told it would just be a couple of weeks. I found up the physio department and I was really, really shocked. Um, well, even, even the um, government guidance at, at the time, you know, um, and still now, I think, says, like, if you're providing um, assistance to someone who relies on, you know, facial um, expressions and lip reading and that kind of thing, um, that they're the kind of required to remove the mask to, um, you know, assist in, in learning and that kind of thing. Yeah. And this um, is, but, uh, the, but they ignored that, you know. 
and this is really interesting, isn't it? Because I was surprised when I got Lenora's email. Did I catch it right? Is it Ryan? Is that the boy's name? Orion, like the constellation. Oh, is it Orion? Oh, that's lovely. Orion, right? What a, yeah. what a, what a cool name that is. Um, yeah, he's smiling at the phone. Is, is he smiling <laughs> at the phone? He is. How you doing, Orion? Yeah. It's a great name, that. Yeah, so, he's smiling. He's smiling, is he's he? He's really excited. <laughs> he's in, he hears you quite regularly. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, <laughs> it might not be the best thing in the world for his development. Maybe it's not the best thing in the world for his development, maybe, but... But um, but no, but 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 this this is really serious now because now that he can return, I mean, this is vital therapy for him and for his development. And there's an issue, Lenora, because you said to me overnight that they 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 will be wearing masks, and this is not good for him. They refuse to come anywhere near him without a mask to the extent that the play therapist through the council is she's agreed to do now outdoor appointments from two meter distance. But she says she will have to wear a mask. Why? Is it, she, surely she's outdoor. not scared of getting the virus from Orion. Surely not. Well, she must. She's double vaccinated as well. Yeah. So she, I don't oh Jesus. What the is. She's double vaccinated, and she insists mm-hmm. on spending her time with Orion two meters away from him and wearing a mask. Yeah, and, and that, they're not compromising at all. Like no matter how you know, because we we tried early on to um, you know like point out. Like I said before, the government guidance, yeah. and also the you know the the kind of science um, behind the effect of you know the efficacy of masks and yeah. stuff, and that that was just you know ig- ignored. And now, it, I mean, yeah, we've written countless letters, emails to various people. You know, RMP as well, the NHS um, head of like you know. At the, our hospital and mm-hmm. like we haven't heard anything back and there's no compromise whatsoever no so we've been yeah. talking to a great call and it's, and also the worst thing is no one talks about this like even the lady yesterday that was talking about the mask she didn't probably mention i don't think that she has to wear one probably during therapy yeah and they've actually discharged orion now the speech oh, therapist yeah. because they said they can't do anything for him if they're not wearing like Online appointments don't work for him. Um, phone appointments, obviously, don't work for him. He's too young yeah, for but... online appointments, isn't he, Liam? Ah, he's three, yeah. 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 They're trying to offer him like a reduced service, you know, based, because he, I, I don't know, it's discrimination because of his um, thing, the, the saying um, he has to, they have to do the appointments in a mask or virtually. And it, it well, you know, he communicates non-verbally, doesn't he? Like, he relies really heavily on seeing faces for reassurance yeah. to understand what's being said to him. But the thing, I actually think it would do him damage. But the know. thing is, Lenora, this will be known by these therapists. They know that it's vital that Orion uh-huh. can see them, that he can see their lips, that he can see their faces. They, this isn't new. They know this is... Is, is, is that it's vital. They know that it's harmful for him if he mm. can't see them. This is what I don't mm. understand. Yeah, we're the same boat. We can't understand it. We wrote to Public Health England and they wrote a really sympathetic reply back, actually, saying it's actually up to the team, up to the therapists themselves to raise concerns and wow. adapt it to suit him. And they're just not doing that. And I think it's quite a common story through the UK. But it's just that uh, I don't know. 
Now you said to me, you said to me overnight that you've even asked your local trust would they have a look at clear masks, which apparently were approved by the European Union, which would make it easier for Orion to see their faces. But they won't even entertain that idea. No, no, no. So we we just felt not only Orion, like we think of all the people that there was an article written in the British Medical Journal by two doctors who are deaf, and they're having immense trouble with this same issue because you can imagine what it's like trying to understand what somebody's saying through a mask if you're trying to diagnose problems they're just being completely forgotten about and combined with the fact that um, children and adults with disabilities were given automatic do not resuscitate orders as well you just wonder what yeah. Come back to come back come back to that in a second. Forgotten, forgotten. Come back to that in a second. Let me just um, sum up so far because there's a lot of interest in this. We've got Lenora and Liam on from Yorkshire. They have a three-year-old boy called Orion, beautiful boy by the sounds of him, and he's um, yeah. got cerebral palsy. And obviously, I mean, I, I I know some people in Ireland, older people, adults, um, who have um, cerebral palsy. And I know about the, the therapy, the occupational therapy and the speech therapy that they've had to, that they've needed to um, develop over the course of their lives. So before the lockdown, Orion was doing well and he had all the help he needed. Let's give the NHS credit for that. He had everything he yeah. needed to help yeah. him develop. But this all stopped last March and he missed it for months and months and months. And now... As um, you must have been obviously looking forward to him getting back into it, the therapist refused to see him without mask, without them wearing a mask and visors covering their faces, including including his speech therapist, which is no good for him whatsoever. You've done yeah. everything you can to get answers on this, and people are basically. You said he was discharged by the speech therapist. Yeah, I think yeah. you said to me in, in our last meeting. Yeah, um, she she just kind of said, well. You know, you can either accept it with masks, you know, full PPE, or um, virtually, or, you know, you'll be discharged. And then we, we said, well, you know, we feel very strongly that he he needs he needs a proper service. And then, you know. Can you both um, spell yeah, out for me? Thanks for that, Liam. Can, can you spell out for me, both of you, what sort of a week um, Orion would have. So go back pre-lockdown. How much therapy would he have in a week? I mean, is he basically at it every day? Yeah. Yeah, every single day. Like He wouldn't have appointments every day, but in between they'd give us exercises to do with him. You know, they'd be monitoring constantly. And, you know, things, even his feeding and stuff, it was to do with the speech and language. It's not well known, but they do actually deal with feeding, drinking, that kind of thing and as well. Swimming, you know, all that kind of thing. And the thing yeah. is as well, it's like each appointment then was worth so much more because he was getting like so much more from it. Um, you know, it's like every every time he met someone, you know, for, for an appointment or whatever. Yeah. Um, the amount of the amount he'd learn from, you know, seeing people's faces and interacting in a normal way yeah. is, you know, like priceless and now all that has been kind of t- taken away and we're, you know we're, we're kind of um struggling to, you know we're still fighting for it and everything and at the very least at the very least um clear masks you know w- would be a, a compromise but you know we, we, we'd accept but as of yet they've not agreed or they've not just you know accepted that they might look into 
uh, the clear masks. And I'm, I'm guessing that some of Orion's appointments would need to be one-to-one, but I'm guessing that many of them, pre-lockdown, many of them were with other children as well. I'm sure the play therapy was um, was him with other children. That's very important as well. Yeah. Do you get the sense, I don't want to upset you now, but do you get the sense that he misses this? Yeah, yeah. desperately, actually. It's really sad. Yeah, because he, he remembers, like, you know, he recognises them more on the phone, you know. Yeah. Like like today we had a, you know... Phone uh, appointment. And here's a question yeah, now. This, really this, this might be a stupid... It, it's terribly sad, Lenora. Here's a stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, can can either of you speed learn some things that might be of use to Orion? I mean, what I would be doing if I were you now, and I, I would probably be no good whatsoever, but I'd be trying to use search engines to try and find techniques or to try and learn as quick as I could what they were doing with Orion so that you could maybe do it, or am I just completely talking silly now? No, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've got so many books now, and we've actually you've had we've had to become physiotherapists ourselves. Like, yeah. really, we've even thought about retraining eventually because all the you? skills that we've learned. So, yeah. Yeah, luckily, we don't we don't actually wear masks around Orion at all because yeah. we we don't want to impede his communication. I count that as an exemption. You know, she's got to communicate 100%. with someone who needs. He relies on nonverbal. So. We, constantly talking to him he's very sociable still i can hear him he sounds he sounds absolutely yeah, engaged yeah. yeah i can hear him in the background so without giving me too much information what sort of field of of business would you and liam be in then what what would be your normal day jobs well, liam you, you do art he's an artist yeah um well that's fantastic yeah. for 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 orion isn't it you being an artist yeah, well, well, he he loves doing it as well. He's yeah, um, he loves drawing and everything. So. Yeah, you do, don't you? And I was before, and um, I was a carer for my oldest son who has autism as well, who's also been extremely badly affected by the lockdown and masks to quite an extreme extent. And he's also lost his services to the NHS because he was having counselling, and they refused to do that without a mask, and he can't cope with masks either due to his. ASD. So, and he he wanted me to mention him tonight, didn't he? So, yeah. Your older um, son. What, what's his name? Henry. Henry, how you doing, Henry? Hope yeah, hope you're well, mate. <laughs> hope you're coping there. Well, Henry, you, you know, I don't know if you heard the phone in on Radio Five Live yesterday morning. You might have gone back and listened to it, but there were some parents who phoned in who do have children with autism as well, and they echoed what you said there, Lenora, that the appointments are very difficult for for the autistic children. And again, trying to get people not to wear the masks is, you know, they're banging their heads against the brick wall, wall, really. Well, do you know what? We're so grateful to our son's school has made provisions for him to have a one-to-one teaching with someone without a mask. Oh, brilliant. They really, really care. They said basically not doing that would be tantamount to excluding him. So the school's doing it, but it's the NHS services that just will not budge at all. Cause they, and they're all passing the books to each other. and It's just yeah. like banging your head. It's, that's it's, frustrating, yeah. I'd say, Liam, is it? I'd say that's frustrating, Liam. Uh, oh, no, go and speak to him. And then, oh, no, go and speak to her. And they just fob you off around different yeah. departments. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. what a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. I, I love the fact that you're thinking 
because you've been reading up on on what you can do for Orion that you might actually, you know, you're you're basically reskilling yourselves, aren't you? And you might go into that then. Exactly. Wow, wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And a family being a big help now with um, Orion. Are your families local? Well, um, <laughs> we're, we're pretty much. Um, I mean, yeah, my my family don't really. Um, they, they are local, but um, we we're not really in 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 touch. Okay. Anymore. Sadly, yeah. But my sister's good. My my family's bad. They're good. We don't see much of them because they're in a different city. But and my sister works in mental health, and she's amazing. She's really supportive. She understands the struggles we're having and stuff. And yeah, she really gets on with the Ryan. Lovely. So, yeah. She's going to be busy, isn't she, going forward yeah. if she works she's in mental very health? Busy. Yeah. Even today, I was yeah. um, while preparing this program and thinking about speaking to you both and what we would talk about. I, I just glanced over at Sky News, and there was a uh, half a dozen people whose lives have been wrecked by lockdown. You know, they've suffered yeah. terribly with um, depression and anxiety. I mean, it's just, I don't think people understand how serious it, it will be in the coming months no. and, and years, you know. But, um, no, it's no. invisible casualties. And you just, the reason we um, kind of put up the courage to come on here, I think, we just don't hear anything about it. Like, no. You know, about the way... Do you hear about children being affected by lack of school? Well, our son has been in and out of school for the past like five years or so, so because of the autism and stuff. So that wasn't we're kind of used to that aspect, which is horrendous that children are having to go through that. But you don't hear about the um, the effect masks are directly having yeah. on children with different communication needs. I've never heard anything about it actually. And the frustrating thing is, Liam and Lenora, that we know that there isn't a shred of evidence to support the the, the idea that masks are helpful in preventing no, transmission. Exactly, yeah. They don't, do they? There's not, And that's not just our opinions, that's not just conjecture. It's a stone-cold fact. There is no evidence to support it. That, that's why it's so frustrating for us, because we know, you know there is no justification for it. No, you know, because we we we've looked into it so much, and when we, you know, um, get in touch and try to, you know, um, refer to like these, the the proof and the arguments and stuff, and we get nothing back, and it's the opposite. They don't. There's no benefit, but there's a the detrimental physically yeah. as well. Yeah, and worst of all, I mean, the other day, one of the therapists, I won't say who, but she was round, Hello. And she was round here, and he was, she had to adjust his chair, so we let her come round just to quickly do that. He was tugging at her mask the whole time. He was, he was tugging at the tired. mask, was he? He was tugging at her mask right. the whole time, and I mean, I, I just couldn't quite believe Yeah. I just thought, isn't that meant to be like a biohazard? Yeah. yeah, and that, that, was, that was just for like, it just adjusting the um, his equipment, you know. Yeah. I know you sound absolutely lovely, the two of you. So I'm guessing, and, 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 and we've only met now, you sound lovely, the both of you, and I'm not, you know, buttering you up. I think you sound fantastic. So I, you, nobody really wants to go down the legal route. Nobody wants to be sending threatening letters to people. You'd prefer to remain on terms with people and to reason with people. But I'm guessing yeah. that you must be considering challenging, the, you know, some of these people legally to say, look, you've got, you are discriminating against Orion if you, 
you know, insist on wearing the mask. So have you considered that? Is it, is it kind of a last resort? Or okay. are you going to go down that road? Wait. Well, no, enough. Yeah, we got the risk assessment today from the council, and we can't actually believe there's absolutely no provisions for mental health no. or well-being or emotional health. Or... Explain yeah, the explain think? the risk assessment now for for those of us that don't understand what that means. It's a it's just weighing, meant to be weighing up the risk of COVID. keeping everybody safe while while the visit takes place, that sort of thing. Well, it says the risk to health is catastrophic, even outside. Whereas Cat- there's actually, we know there's not been one proven case of admission ever anywhere it, in the world outdoors. It doesn't mention like the kind of emotional um, risk or, men- you know, physical, like uh, it only um, takes into account like the risk from COVID and it really blows that out of proportion as well. It, 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 it lists it, like Leo said, as, as a kind of major, as, as a major risk when it's just Liam, Liam, did they did they really use the term catastrophic in their documents? Is, um, that, is that the term they use? The term um, major, which I think is it, it's the second highest risk level. Yeah. What they might get hugged, so, they might get hugged to death by Orion. They yeah, might get, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always a risk. Yeah, What's he going to do? He's going to give him the plague. I, I, I don't why look I understand bureaucracy I've worked in news and politics most of my adult life I know what these pencil pushers can be like but surely there are some people with some trace of humanity who could say to their bosses I mean if I'm an, an occupational therapist or a physical therapist and I'm working with Orion I say to my boss yes of course I'll wear a mask and yes of course I'll keep my distance from Orion and, and as I get into the car I just laugh and when I come and see I give him a hug <laughs> Where's the where's the common sense? I don't get this. I really don't. Are people really that scared? I wonder. There was one um, person recently who said that they, you know, um, kind of feed, feed it back and they said it in a real, you know, genuine way that you know they were actually going to follow up our concerns. So we, we haven't heard anything back yet. But but that that's like kind of the first time. Yeah. Oh yeah, but still she wore a mask. I think they're yeah. just—they're all absolutely terrified of like losing their jobs or getting in trouble or maybe like accidentally killing someone by breathing. Yeah. I don't know. I sadly, yeah. I sadly do think that the fear—the fear is fairly genuine. I think for a lot of people. It is. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They—they've seen some of those reports on TV, and of course now. We're seeing these reports from India. Now, I know I had um, an old friend from India on the programme last night, and I know she's not a liar. I know she's an honest woman. Um, You know, she said that it isn't as bad there as people are saying it is. I don't know. But but the fact is that these people who are nervous, they'll watch these programmes, won't they, on Sky and the BBC, and they'll think, oh, God, that could be me on that ventilator. That's how it is, really. And this thing doesn't affect the vast majority of people, whatever it is. And yet they're I'm terrified. sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, but I did refer one. I won't say who, but I referred one of them to Vernon Coleman, and even that didn't yeah. say it because no, we used to watch yeah. it every night at seven back in the day. When it, and it, even that hasn't managed to sway. They're terrified. Yeah, they're terrified. They're, genu- they're lovely people, lovely people, brilliant at their yeah. job, but that that. You have to keep that in mind. That's a very good point, isn't it? Both of you, we, we've all got to keep that in mind. These are not bad people. They're not our enemies. No. They're not. They've been hoodwinked into believing that we're at Armageddon, effectively. 
and yeah. we're not. And, yeah. you know, like ostracizing ourselves, walking away from them, arguing with them till we end up screaming is no good because they're our neighbours and our friends and and we, we have to have some tolerance for them, you know, even though it's frustrating. Yeah. It's really important. Sometimes it's difficult, but yeah. Well, well that's, that's, I mean, um, you know, so, so many times when we have like just, when you try to bring it to attention, it's just like, you know, not getting too kind of heated about it, just kind yeah. of referring to the logic, yeah. the, the logical side of it and and bringing um, attention to the the other risks that are, you know, more, I mean, you know, emotional and lifelong development and all that kind of stuff. You keep reasoning um, and reasoning and reasoning, but at the same time, you need to do the best for your child. You know, yeah. so you can only reason up to a point, and at some stage, yeah. you know, even the most, even the most um, placid person will 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 get annoyed and and, and lose uh, their temper. But you know, I, out of all of these things, you know, some really great things come. You talked about learning the information yourselves and and effectively treating him, uh, giving him the therapy he needs yourselves. I, I just think that's absolutely brilliant. By the way, at the very beginning of our conversation, I said, park something and we'll come back to it later. Do you remember what it was? My memory's totally gone. At the beginning of the conversation, Lenora said something and it was oh, very yeah. interesting. And I said, let's go back to I it got, later. What was yeah, it? Yeah, of course, at the beginning I was really sensitive. Um, I, I saw something it was about do not resuscitate orders being put onto people who have learning disabilities. Yes, that's yeah. it. And I, I just it was right in the beginning. It was only really publicised recently, but it was right at the beginning um, of the whole mm. thing, March, April time. And why did that scare you now? Because did, did, did that make you think that if anything ever happened to Orion, God forbid, but that he could have one of those notices placed on him? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. for no reason, because he's an extremely healthy child. Yeah. He's never even had Calpol, you know. Um, he's never even he, had Calpol, I can't believe. I'm not believing no. that for a minute. Has he not? <laughs> I was <laughs> I was dosed on that stuff. Anytime I had anything wrong with me, me to too. give me Calpol, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, God be with the days. God be with the days of Calpol. So he's a, he's in great health and rude health, and uh, yeah, he just needs to be back with the professionals, with the other children, and doing the things he was yeah. doing before lockdown. And you know, if anybody has any um, information, by the way, please send us a tweet. I can pass it on to. Lenore you, and Liam, you never know who's listening to the programme. So if you yeah. are an expert oh. and you have any info at all, drop me a tweet. If you've got any anything you can recommend to uh, Liam and Lenora, I will pass it on to them via, via, via email, of course, yeah. And what about yourselves then? I mean, you have a lot on your plate, haven't you, at home? How, how have you yeah. got through the last 12 months without killing one another? Is is the is the question, isn't it? Or have you have you had your rounds oh, like everybody else? Kill each other. No, you wouldn't kill each other, but you'd argue. <laughs> if somebody said to me, "Have you have you and Caroline has it has it all been hunky dory since last March?" If I said we haven't had a row, I'd be a liar. Of course, you, you, of course, you, you have rows. So, so how have you co- how, have, how have you dealt with it then, the two of you? <laughs> we stay up really late talking and trying to work it all out. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, just. Well, I, yeah, I mean, um, just we, we have been focused on COVID because I mean, it's it's been such a such a huge um, in, interruption in like really um, it's taken it, it's derailed all of our lives to such an extent. You know, um, we've 
we've been like researching about it a lot, you know, and um, yeah. Yeah, at first we were researching because we were terrified about it. We thought it was, you know, like a new SARS coming to the UK. We were really scared. But the more research we did, the more uh, we, we read Michael Levitt's book or it back the, and we've started to. Yeah. And oh. um, what is it? I um. So I'll take. I've been doing um a, a few uh drawings as well as like kind of like an outlet um and and just to kind of expose like a lot of the a lot of the um kind of yeah hypocrisy and the things around COVID. So I was wondering, um, you know, I, I can't remember who I spoke with, but I did speak to somebody on the program an artist, again, it's my memory gone, but I asked the question, you know, will you describe what we've gone through using your art, your artistic ability? So that's a, an amazing thing. So you'll do that, Liam. You'll express your understanding of what's gone on through, uh, through your art, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did a, um, a drawing and it was, I was lucky to have it in the... Um, the light paper, I think it was February um, of of Bill Gates. Just, just, I mean, yeah, it's just, just to kind of um, highlight the fact that you know all these organisations and stuff, um, they are not kind of the, the the bias there. So I did. I mean, I just did a quick. Um, I'll have to drawing, take it out now. Um, like <laughs> Bill Gates, kind of feeding his chickens, but his chickens were like the you know, um, World Health Organization, right. Neil Ferguson, all, all yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that. In fact, I've, I've I've got pretty much all the copies of the paper. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw that. I'll dig it out and have a look at it again later on. We're, we're just about out of time today, right? I, I've, I've, um, I've got to move on. First of all, thanks for getting in touch. It's lovely that you did. And uh, obviously, everybody is, is in love with Orion listening to the programme. He sounds fantastic. The best of luck in the coming weeks. Keep us posted. Come back and update us on, on how he's getting on. And uh, hello to Henry again. And I hope um, it, it, it all works out for Henry. Thanks for your time today, uh, Liam and Lenora. I've really enjoyed meeting you. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having us, Richie. Cheers. Anytime. And come back anytime soon. Brilliant stuff. That's um, Liam and Lenora. They're in Yorkshire, as I mentioned earlier on. And they came on to talk about their uh, three-year-old son, uh, Orion, who has cerebral palsy. And pre-lockdown, he was getting great treatment and help from various uh, outlets from the NHS and the local authority. That all ended March last year, of course. It's, um, it, it should be starting back up again for Orion. But the problem is the therapists and the occupational therapists and the people involved in his care refused to meet him um, without wearing a mask. Not the boy himself, but they refused to do it without masks. And that, there's a huge problem, as we learned yesterday, in the development of the child's language skills, owing to the mask wearing of the adult. And um, so thanks to them for coming on to talk about that. We'll definitely follow that one up. BBG Richie on Twitter. Like I said, if anybody has any idea as to um, what they might do next, do get in touch with me through Twitter or email me through the website and I'll pass it on to Lenora and Liam, all right? Now, we're off to Santa Cruz County in Arizona in a few minutes' time to talk to Sheriff David Hathaway. Can't wait to meet David as well. Richie Allen Show, Wednesday. That's the emotions on the Richie Allen Radio Show. 
Wednesday evening. It's a bit grim. It's grim oop north. It's grim. Where did the sunshine go? What a fantastic couple of weeks we had. It's miserable now. Back to type. Reverted to type. I'm I'm delighted to, to meet my, my next guest. And I'm really glad that he reached out and got in touch with me. I'm glad that he did. Um, he's um, making waves in Santa Cruz in Arizona. Wait till I tell you a little bit about him before we say hello to him. He won the race for Sheriff in a veritable landslide. He won a landslide victory. And when he was running, when he was on the stump, as they say there uh, across the pond, when he was on the stump, there were debates with the other candidates. And in one of those debates, all of his opponents said they would penalise people who wouldn't wear a mask. But our guest running for sheriff said, well, I wouldn't do that. I won't take any action against those who refuse to wear masks because they have genuine health concerns. They have their own personal sovereignty. And there is, of course, the Constitution. The media in Santa Cruz County tried to hammer him when he was a candidate. They tried to, well, basically gazump him. They tried to uh, finish him off. But as I said, he won in a landslide. I'm thrilled uh, to meet him today, Sheriff David Hathaway. You're only very welcome to this program. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Greetings, uh, Richie, from the land of Spiro Skouras. Even though I don't know him, we live in the same state. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited to be able to talk on your show. Uh, me and my wife listen to you every day. So thank you for the invitation. Not at all. That's an incredibly humble thing to say. You've done incredibly well. And you were very humble in reaching out. And Spiro is listening, by the way. And David, he sends me a brilliant news story out of Arizona from the Vale School Board. Apparently, the Vale School Board has basically disbanded. It's run away uh, to allow parents elect a new board because parents of children going to that school are fed up and tired of the mask mandate. So good things are are happening. Tell me about running for sheriff and those debates with those other candidates. It's fascinating stuff, David. Yeah, it, it was interesting. You know, I started the campaign in mid-2019, and then all the COVID stuff hit, all the COVID scare in early 2020. And I'm replacing a a sheriff who set the record for the longest serving sheriff in Arizona. He was sheriff for 28 years in this county, seven four-year terms. And so after he decided to not run again, everybody and their brother wanted to run. So we had six <laughs> candidates in the election. And that uh, candidate foreign you, you referenced, that was a point where people told me I shot myself in the foot. I cost myself the election because what happened, they had... Uh, you know, questions being submitted by uh, Facebook, and the moderator was the chief superior court judge for for this county. Um, and they asked us a bunch of different questions. And of course, inevitably, this was, you know, earlier in 2020, they just passed a mask mandate here, they just passed all their social distance rules and reduced occupancy in restaurants, shut down movie theaters and gyms and whatnot. Um, you know, and churches had shut down, it really surprised me. You know, they talk about the United States being the land of the free and the home of the brave and rugged individualism. And this was largely self-imposed. You know, it wasn't for the, for the most cases, it wasn't somebody pointing a gun at you and putting handcuffs on you. There were isolated instance, instances of that, but it was mostly self-imposed. So it, you know, it, it really surprised me, especially out here in the Western United States, you know, with the Cowboys and the John Wayne movies, you, oh, yeah. you would think the people here would have that resistance to such things. But anyway, back to that candidate forum where people said I shot myself in the foot. 
They had these questions submitted from people via social media. And the moderator, who was a judge here in the county, when he got to that question, I was the last person to answer. We each had a minute to answer. And he said, you know, if a guy refuses to put the mask on, what are you going to do? And they ultimately said they would charge him, they would arrest him. And the judge did a good job. Like when they tried to waffle around and wiggle out of the question and just say, well, I would educate the people on the importance of masks. He said, no, he would cut them off and say, I need an answer. This guy says, I'm not putting on the mask. What are you going to do? And they all, all ultimately said they would arrest the guy. They'd charge him with a crime. Now I was the last of the six candidates. So when it got to me, I said, you know, uh, even at that point, there had already already been research showing the health concerns of masks, you know, that if you're operating heavy equipment, the hypoxia that, you know, people get lethargic and there had been accidents. There had been demonstrations of, you know, mold and bacteria colonies growing in the mask. You're ingesting all that. You're ingesting the lint. So I said, you know, people may have health concerns, so I wouldn't charge them with a crime. And then I also uh, mentioned the constitutional concerns that the First Amendment says freedom of assembly and freedom of religion. And yet they had made a local rule here where you had to go ask the local government, the board of supervisors, if you wanted to assemble with 10 or more people. And it just blew me away that people just gave in to all that. The churches shut down and everything. So I, I pointed out there was constitutional concerns also. And then after that, like you mentioned, the local media they started writing articles about me and, uh, you know, saying how, how horrible this was. They would get some, you know, doctors that were supporting the nonsense science to, you know, say, oh, there is no harm in wearing masks. And that that um, article they wrote about me, that the online version of that article set the record of, you know, for the most comments. Usually that paper gets no comments or one or two comments on their articles, but there were over 300 comments on that. I started getting phone calls, people saying, well, David, you just cost yourself the election. You should just go with the flow and keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And I thought, well, I deserve to lose if people are that dumb, you know. And when the election came around, I actually got four times as many votes as the guy that came in second yeah. place. So it turned out to not harm me. It turned out not to harm you. And then some four times as many votes as the guy in second place. People would reading about you. Uh, it took me a while to realise that, as you said, you began your campaign back in 2019. Reading about you in the news and what was going on, I had initially thought that you had thrown your hat into the into the ring, as it were, because of lockdown. But that isn't true. But you, but you were obviously you your your own politics, your own feelings about these things, your own opinion on, 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 on civil rights and, 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 and libertarianism maybe, you were predisposed anyway to be totally horrified by the restrictions, right? I mean, especially yeah. the restrictions around, you know, church services and things like that. I'm still astonished, David. You know, yeah. I know you'll be aware of this last weekend um, in Athlone in Ireland. You know I'm Irish. Uh, the police walked in there and kicked out 50 worshippers and, you know, chastised them and threatened them with fines. I just can't believe this is going on. Your, your um, county men and county women in Santa Cruz County, they're blessed to have you. I mean, your department is just not going to be going around chasing people over mask wearing and, and assembly. Are you under yeah. any pressure, though, yourself from 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 author other authorities in the county, or do you really have a free reign as to what you do? No, I, I've been chewed out. They've they've tried to give me a hard time of it, and like you said, I was predisposed on these things. You know, Saint Augustine had a. Uh, 
a term he, he, he coined called the libido dominandi, people who have the lust to rule, the lust to govern. And that's why I ran for sheriff is that I didn't want to run anybody's life. At the time I filed my campaign papers, the COVID stuff was not, the, you know, that, that nonsense wasn't floating around yet. But it was just kind of a made-to-order campaign issue for me. It's like, well, wait a minute. You know, the government's trying to rule everybody's life. They're trying to rule by executive decree. There was one of the founding fathers, John Adams, that that said, I think this saying is attributed to him, we are a government of laws, not a government of men. Well, 2020 proved that to be wrong in this, in this country because I lost count of the number of uh, proclamations and executive decrees, executive orders, fiats, where these little petty local tyrants, you know, well, all the way to the presidential level, but, you know, mayors and, and governors and boards of supervisors, they would just issue these proclamations with no legislative authority and just tell everybody, I'm shutting down your life. Yeah. I'm closing down your business. Um, you know, you can't go to church. You can't meet with your relatives. And yeah, you know, back to your question on the pushback. Um, one of the things that happened in mid-January, and I, I knew this was coming, I, you know, the, the forced vaccinations, you know, the back vaccine passports, I took office on January 1st. So the whole, you know, Trump's Operation Warp Speed was all in the works, and then it transitioned to the Biden administration. So I knew this was going to be a big issue, and I studied up on the law. And sure enough, about mid-January, when I'd been in office for two weeks, I got a call from the county attorney. That's the the local prosecuting authority saying, do you want us to write up legal documents to make it mandatory for people to take uh, take the vaccination in your office? Fortunately, I had read up on that and I said, no, I'm going to abide by the legal principle of informed consent. It's up to each person to analyze the risks and the benefits of you know any kind of a medical thing. And so then I got a call back to, this is the pushback I've gotten. I got a call from one of the elected board of supervisors said, you know, David, what do you think you're doing here? Um, you've set the precedent because law enforcement was the first tier to receive the shot. So people were waiting wow. in the wings, fire departments and other law enforcement agencies to see how I would react. And once I said it should be, you know, voluntary, uh, I got a call from one of the board of supervisors saying, you know, what do you think you're doing? The local police department here, over 50% of the people have declined the vaccination. And they asked me how many people in your department are taking it. And I said, you know, federal law prevents me from even asking that question yeah. or tracking that data. There's the American with Disabilities Act, the HIPAA law, that's the Health Insurance Portability and Affordability Act. Both of those federal laws say you cannot compel somebody to do a medical procedure. You can't track that information. You can't inquire about their reasons. So I responded and said, you know, I can't even ask about these things. That's inappropriate. That's a violation of federal law. And But there's, uh, you know, not to get too long-winded, but I can give you other examples of things they've chewed me out for also. So no, it's, it's, not, been a, it's not been an easy road. No, I can't imagine it has been. You took office on January 1st and you knew you were going to get this pushback. This, this is a fascinating bit of information. So the prosecuting attorney says to you, I'll draft the... The, you know, the documentation, David, so that you can then go and tell law enforcement officers that they must have the vaccine. You do the noble and the correct thing, the, the, the human rights thing, and you say, no, I can't compel, and I, and I wouldn't compel anybody to take it. They're not happy. Is that settled yet, or is that still an ongoing issue for you? No, that's settled. As a matter of fact, since I made that point, and I made it very clear, um, now the other... Um, you know, local government officials have decided they could get in hot water, you know, by compelling people to do this.
this. But early on, you know, that was all the rage. You know, they're, they're going to be trying to, to force everybody to do it. But that was, you know, one example of something where I was able to, you know, stand up for the people on that. There's a not, a not a lot you can do in, a, in an executive branch agency. If I had run for a legislative position, I could just vote no on all the all the nonsense and just go home and have there yeah. be no stress. Yeah. Somebody like Ron Paul, you know, just, he was Dr. No, just vote against all the nonsense. <laughs> you know, so right. if I was in a legislative position, yeah. it, it would be easier. But in the executive branch, um, you know, there's a saying that the executive branch is the, the, where the police are the edge of the knife. You know, everybody else is just kind of a benign administrative bean counter or a court yeah. intellectual is supporting the expansion of government authority. But none of that expansion of government authority means anything if you can't get the police to implement it. So I thought, well, that was my reason for running and, and getting in this position. This is the position that can prevent those government edicts for effect, from affecting people's lives because they're only implemented through the police. But, you know, the formula for government action and for police action is always this articulate a crisis, even if it's a fake crisis, articulate a crisis and present yourself as the solution. So you have the, you know, the legislative, you know, entities and the bureaucrats articulating a crisis, but then they need a law enforcement agency to actually, you know, implement that to Im implement their policies. You know, they, they, they're just kind of more in an administrative position. So that's where I've had pushback from other local government officials is I don't want to do their bidding and run people's lives for them. You must be popular with your, I, I won't say constituents, but with um, with the public there in Santa Cruz. How has Santa Cruz County been affected by the, I call it a scamdemic, but I wouldn't put words in, in your mouth. How has it been affected economically? What has it done to the county? Um, you know, one, one thing that's happened is... Um, you know, all of our all of our local businesses just shut down or reduced occupancy. We so happen that we're right on the um, the Mexican border. This county has the biggest ports of entry, international ports of entry into the United States. And what they've done is for the last 13 months, it was just extended for 14th month. They have um, closed the borders to people, legal visa holders to come shop, you know, to do the tourism and whatnot. So that is costing us millions of dollars every day on uh, the, the retail purchases that, you know, the Mexico was like kind of a, you know, a, a natural trading partner with Arizona. Yeah. Mexico repatriates, I think, 40 cents of every dollar that the United States sends to Mexico. But for the last 13 months, that money has not been allowed to come in. So that's one of the things that's been harmed. Uh, movie theaters were shut down, gyms, restaurants, um, you know, occupancy restrictions on uh, on everything. And, you know, you talk about whether people like what I'm doing, you know, surprisingly, you don't get a lot of praise if you're a government official and no. you take a, a freedom position because there's not a lobbying group. There's not a special interest group for the common man. All the other ones do, like the uh, military industrial complex. There's Raytheon factories right near us here, and they they benefit from foreign wars. So they have their lobbying groups. There's uh, the public school teachers groups. You know, there's the, uh, you know, the climate change special interest groups. But unfortunately, there's not a lobbying group for just the regular common person, you know, to to promote their freedom. So th there's a lot of organized voices out there, but the common man doesn't have an organized voice. And if I could just tell you another way I got in trouble, um, they've had a few, a, a couple of rebel churches in the east end of the county that have decided this is should be kind of a refuge or a sanctuary, like uh, 
these policies should not be able to intrude beyond the walls of the church. So yeah. they have invited me out there to be their guest speaker. And I spoke multiple times to large groups of people, like 150 people, no one's wearing a mask, I'm not wearing a mask, no social distance. And of course, uh, you know, these these were the groups, the the ones that 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 were rallying around the concept of freedom. Of course, there was a couple of rat fink snitches in the audience, and they ratted me out to uh, other government officials. And I got phone calls. David, we heard that you were in a group of 150 people. Nobody was wearing a mask. Is oh this God. true? You know, and just telling me how disappointed they are in me. But ultimately. I'm the chief law enforcement for, officer for the county. They can give me a lot of grief, and they have made my life miserable. But you know, they can't—they can't remove me from office. How they diplomatic are you, David? Sheriff David Hathaway is our guest, Santa Cruz County Sheriff, has been since January first this year. Lovely to have David on. And a breath of fresh air. Our listeners are tweeting and tweeting and tweeting about this. They're thrilled to hear you. How diplomatic were you before assuming office? Have you become more diplomatic? Have you become more of a politician uh, dealing with these people? You've got to bite your tongue quite a bit, I guess. You know, it's funny. I, I just spoke to a group of people and I told them, I haven't learned to talk like a politician yet. And they said, please don't. Please don't, don't learn how to do that because politicians are notoriously very indirect, you know, yeah. very evasive, you know, and so I've, you know, when, when I, 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 I naturally don't like conflict. I don't like to be a contrarian. Um, you know, I like people. I like my neighbors. I have a big family. I have nine children, you know, um, and, you know, I have grandchildren and I like, I like to get along with people. And, you know, I think one of the problems why people have gone along with all this people, People like to have common ground with other people. So in order to have that common ground, they tune into the national level media like Fox News or CNN, and they learn what position they're supposed to have. They don't naturally think we should be dropping bombs on Vietnam or Afghanistan, you know, on their own. They'll think, well, those people never did anything to me. But to be relevant around the office or the workplace or school or church so you can make chit chat with other people, you learn what your position is supposed to be on masks or vaccines from, you know, mass media. You know, mass media promotes these things. It's kind of an arm of the government that promotes these things. And now, yeah. unfortunately, social media has fallen into that realm that is being controlled by government. So, you know, people, um, you know, they they want to go along to get along. They see the bandwagon and they don't want to be the person left out in the cold. So, you know, I stand up for people, whether they appreciate it or not. People should not get mad at me that I don't want to run their life. Yeah, you know? I know but it's mad, some, isn't it? Some, some people do. You oh, know, God. I mean, say, yeah. <laughs> we have police officers here. And I know you know this. I'm, I'm really thrilled at how well briefed you are. I'm not for a minute now suggesting that our cousins across the pond are not bright. Of course you're bright, but you live in such a massive country. You know, it's rare to meet an American gentleman or lady who is paying a lot of attention to what's going on over here because you've got the biggest country, you know, one of the biggest um, open spaces in the world. So I understand that, but you are incredibly well briefed. You'll know, David, that at the height, the, the height of this lunacy here, we've had police officers fining people for being in parks in pairs because they might have driven six miles to go for a walk in a in a beauty spot when really they weren't supposed to be more than five miles away. We've had police officers go up and serve them 
a rich. No. I mean, this is yeah. lunatic. This, this, this is totalitarianism, or am I exaggerating no, it? No, it's, you're right. And yeah. people don't know that the biggest problem facing law enforcement right now, it's kind of a hidden problem that the media suppresses. The biggest problem in the United States, and I think worldwide, is the drug overdose deaths and the suicide deaths. They're, they're setting records here. The county just north of me, and this is a nationwide problem, not just in Arizona. The county just north of me set, set the record for the highest number of suicide and drug overdose deaths in history, in history since records have been kept for the last 12 months. My county that I'm in, the 2020 was three times higher suicide and drug overdose deaths than, than the year before that. The CDC director Redfield says, you know, this is what they call deaths of despair, that there's no more deaths attributed to suicide and drug overdose in 2020 than anything that's attributed to coronavirus. And yet the local uh, newspaper had the audacity to call me and blame me and say, you know, we noticed that the suicides and, and well, they talked mainly about the overdoses. The overdose deaths are way up, but a lot of those are suicides too. Um, is this because your officers aren't trained properly on the use of Narcan, which is a nasal spray that counteracts the effect of an opioid overdose. And I said, really, are you serious? You don't know what has caused this? You tell people to isolate themselves and to not visit relatives, not go to school, not go to church, not have any social interaction. They lose their jobs, they lose their businesses. And you have the audacity to ask me that this is some failing in the local sheriff's office, that a bunch of people are dying of drug overdoses that you don't know. You see, but that that position cannot be articulated in the media because that position would suggest that there's some unintended consequences to the lockdowns, you know, and even Fauci, when Fauci was asked, you know, he was asked, well, have you considered that there's other unintended consequences to people having missed doctor's appointments and the emotional trauma and, and not being able to visit relatives? Have you considered that? And he said, well, I'm sure there are those consequences, but he never considered those and factored no. those in when he gave his guidance. So, Same here. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that there's a lot of problems for law enforcement that are being suppressed by the media and the problems are directly related to the lockdowns. No doubt. Sheriff David Hathaway is our guest, Santa Cruz County in Arizona. Uh, David is responsible for looking after and taking care of uh, nearly 50,000 people there on the Mexican border and uh, has made headlines for, well, for being a decent, honest, nice guy who believes in human rights and civil liberties and personal sovereignty. It's fascinating to be listening to David. Thanks for all the tweets that are coming in. Loads of really nice comments uh, for him. David is on Twitter, by the way. I'll tweet a link out to where you can, where you can follow him there. I've got to ask you, of course, how did the virus, how did it brush, did it brush Santa Cruz County? What sort of numbers did you have there? Did your hospitals and medical centres come under any pressure in the last 12 months? Well, you know, there's a lot of hype about that. It's all, you know, the saying, follow the dollar, follow the money. Um, under the CARES Act, um, Medicare, the Medicare program was given, uh, um, was given the authority to appropriate $13,000 for every admission to a hospital that was classified as coronavirus. And then um, early on, before everyone realized the ventilators were killing everybody, they also put a provision in there where hospitals and medical facilities get th a $39,000 payment if they put somebody on a ventilator. Oh, so there were deaths that were directly attributed to ventilators and because they they 
you know, they would jam a pipe down the person's throat, put them in a medically induced coma because the body's natural tendency is to pull that thing out of your throat. And they would put these people in a coma for months and then have them with a forced ventilation and the body would atrophy, their lungs would yeah. fill with fluid and the, the muscles would atrophy. And a lot of people died from that. And of course, those were all attributed to coronavirus. Can I ask and you another... to repeat that? I hate to interrupt you. And if you listen to yeah. the program, you know I don't interrupt very often. I've got to ask you to repeat that because listeners, this isn't a conspiracy theorist making this claim. This is the sheriff of Santa Cruz County. You're saying that th th these hospitals, that there was a monetary benefit for them, that they, had, they, had, they, they, they could gain financially if they were to put people on ventilators. And you suspect yeah. that might be the reason why so many people were put on ventilators. Yeah, and, and I know it is. You know, early on, about almost 100% of the deaths in New Jersey, that this was early on, that were attributed to coronavirus, they, they involved a ventilator. Um, and it was, you know, never the appropriate medical a tool for a respiratory infection, but there was the monetary incentive. Still to this day, they will get $39,000 if they put somebody on a ventilator. And I know I have, you know, personal acquaintances that have gotten upset and said, Oh, my dad was, you know, uh, had cancer, um, you know, for for the last two years, and he had gone through radiation and chemotherapy, and on he was on. He lived six months longer than the doctor said he would. But when he died, ultimately they put it down as coronavirus on the uh, on on the death certificate, because what happens? The death certificates have an upper part and a lower part. Um, the upper part is the primary cause of death, like heart attack or stroke or brain aneurysm or cancer. But then the, the second part, the part two, is like any, any what you could call underlying health condition. It was the medical history. Did the person have high blood pressure? You know, did they have high cholesterol? Did they have a positive PCR test? You know, all, all these type of things in the part two. Now, the CDC made a ruling about six months ago that anything that's in part two, if, if COVID is mentioned in part two, then that entire death can be classified as a COVID death. Now, those don't even have to be based on a PCR test. They could be on a clinical diagnosis. And CDC put out rules that said, if a person has any one of the following symptoms, you can give a clinical diagnosis as positive for COVID-19. And those were things like um, coughing, fever, headache, shortness of breath, sore throat. If they had one of those, a clinical diagnosis could be made as coronavirus. So somebody comes in, um, you know, with a heart attack. And if they could check the box on one of those symptoms, then they can get their $13,000 by calling it a coronavirus, a COVID admission. And then ultimately the death from heart attack or whatever would be classified as a COVID as a death. COVID so yeah, death. there's definitely a financial incentive. And as as the sheriff, the, 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 the COVID classification might be something that's that's difficult for you to get into but if you yeah, it, it, it is i i have thought about trying to get a detective or an investigator to yeah. do an investigation of death certificates the problem is there's a lot of medical privacy issues there yeah, yeah. and they won't allow um autopsies to be done because the the argument will be well if we categorized it as a covid death oh it's so dangerous it's like you know it's like the black plague or something yeah. like that it's like the black death so we can't have a forensic, you know, pathologist. It's like cutting into a bomb. It's like cutting into yeah, a bomb. Exactly. They've said know, that here. You're yeah, gonna, yeah. You're going to affect everybody. So there's no verification after the fact, uh, you know, of these things. But I thought if there could be a way, um, 
maybe when things die down in you know yeah. six months or a year, if they ever do die down, you could have a, a a methodical project where you go through and look at all the death certificates and talk to relatives and actually do some after the fact reassembly yeah. of what did these people really die of. But right now you're not allowed. You can't to. do it's it. Like, you know oh. how much money they're going to spend on your opponents next time you're up for election. They're going to <laughs> they're going to give them a, a, a blank check to get rid of you. And I don't say that to be funny, but no, just on the ventilators because that must be frustrating you because as yeah. a law enforcement officer and you come across and I've read about you and I listen to other interviews and I looked into you because I have to because if I find anything in your background that you know is contradictory I've got to bring it up but I didn't um, right. you're, you're, you're obviously a nice guy and you're a principal guy and a gentleman so it must be really bugging you that you suspect that people are being put on ventilators who don't need to be because there is a financial reward I, I find that ugly and almost evil it must piss you right off David but of course yeah. there's, you're limited in what you can do at the moment yeah, and I'll yeah. go talk to people about it. And of course, you know, I'm not a doctor or a medical professional, but I, you know, I read and I'm just a normally intelligent guy and and I understand what they've done on the ventilators and I've heard such weird tales from the people who've had their relatives put on ventilators and I'll go talk to them about it, just have a chat and they say, "Well, and I said, you know, this is going to result in pneumonia and the death's ultimately going to be from bacterial pneumonia because yeah. of laying in bed. But then it's going to be classified as a COVID death. And they'll say, well, you know what? They've told us that this is the COVID pneumonia. We have to have the ventilator on there because they need extra because with COVID pneumonia, the, the, the tissues on the lungs become thicker and you need that extra air pressure to force the oxygen into the lung tissues. Like it's funny, these doctors have been given free license to come up with just creative, you know, baloney yeah. on, on, and, and, and there's no punishment for just inventing things on the fly. No. If, as long as you're on the authoritarian side, you know, on all this quote unquote science, Richie, on all the scientific options, um, you know, since government tends to want to expand its authority, they will always choose the most authoritarian version of the science. If somebody's always. saying, ah, there's no legitimate science proving that masks are effective, but if you can get like one little weirdo over here to say, yeah, you should put masks <laughs> on, they're going to choose that option because it allows them to expand their authority. Doesn't it's just it? kind of the natural tendency of government to want to expand their authority. And talking about other sheriffs and what they'll do to me in the next election, unfortunately, the other sheriffs around me, I mean, there's some good ones in other parts of the United States, but the ones around me, they just follow that formula, you know. Yeah, um, no, I meant they, when you're up for re-election, what I meant was when you are up for re-election in the future, the, the county fathers are just going to throw all the money in the world <laughs> at your opponent to, to try and make sure that, that you're, because you're obviously a thorn in their side. You made a brilliant point there about the precautionary principle, which is just foolish. I mean, how frustrating is it for you? It is for me here. You've got these guys like Carl Hennigan at Oxford University, evidence-based medicine professor. He's very bright. He says there's no evidence that face masks work and no intervention should ever be made unless you know Virtually 100%, you know that it will bring about some benefit. It's just frustrating this. And as you said, you might have, you know, 20 scientists who say we, we need to end restrictions, but they'll find the one guy who says, oh, no, no, we've got to be careful. We've got all these variants out there. 
and uh, and then they go with that and they keep us in lockdown and restrictions. Even, yeah, and, even and I thought these people, I knew these local politicians, I thought they were harmless, just benign individuals, you know. Um, but the thing is, they never had the power before. Um, once they were, once the door was open and they were given the authority, they just went to the max, you know, they went whole hog and they just decided we're going to, we're going to do occupancy restrictions. We're going to shut down gyms, movie theaters, face masks, you know, the whole, the whole shebang of anything that they could get away with, you know, and unfortunately, you know, that's, you know, my other sheriffs, they say the sky is falling, doom and gloom and crisis and put the fear into people so that you'll think the sheriff and the law enforcement is really necessary because it's such a scary world that we live in. And during my whole campaign, I never made one speech like that about how, you know, it's a crisis and you really need me in there to solve the crisis. More I was all about just letting people live their lives. And you would just think that that message would resonate. Wouldn't you? And then you mentioned Raytheon. So you've got company. So of course, many of your, you know, fellow county men and women, they work for these companies and maybe, you know, some of their worldview maybe derives from that fact. And, and of course, they're listening to supervisors and to bosses. I mean, how frustrating is this? You've got, a sher- you've got a sheriff who says, no, I'm not going to go George Orwell on you. I'm, I'm going to let you go about your lives. You're free. I, I don't want to know you unless you commit a real crime. They should be embracing you. And and rather than embrace you, they're kind of probably some of them are wondering who is this guy. That's the fear. How it's it's really touched people. I spoke about this with my first guest this evening. People are genuinely scared, David, aren't they? Yeah. It, it's really got to them this propaganda. Yeah, and it's just it's such a weird world. Like the first day I walked in here, January first, um, this twenty four hour law enforcement law enforcement agency, the sheriff's office, was shut down. There was everybody was working from home. There was nobody. The lobby was closed. You're it kidding was, me. You know, call call nine one one. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. If somebody walks up to the door with an a hatchet sticking out of their head or something <laughs> like that, and or they're they're suffering from an overdose, they walk up. The door's locked, and there's a sign that just says call. You know, nine one one. And so the first day there, I went and tore those signs off the lobby. You know, this county had said all county buildings are closed. All these government employees can just earn their benefits, their pay from home. But we'll shut everybody else down so they lose their livelihood. And so this agency was like that. There were guys out on patrol, but they were told, you know, just be physical distance and, and whatnot and, and really don't 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 do anything. So the first day I tore that sign off the front door. I had a master key to the building. I unlocked the front door. I called those employees back who were supposed to sit behind the the windows in the lobby and address people that come in and say, Hey, we need you back here at work, called them all back in and and, How uh, did they you know, feel about able, that? When when you it, called them back in, what was the response? Were they happy about it? Um, yeah, they they didn't mind. You know, I think they felt you know somewhat guilty. Though you know, the good employees yeah. who just think like, oh, I'm just sitting at home watching soap operas, you know, and 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 I'm getting a full paycheck. And yet they would know other people who you know worked at McDonald's or worked for a local store that had been shut down, and you know worked for the movie theater or the gym, and they weren't getting a paycheck. So um, I didn't get any pushback from from them locally, but I didn't ask permission either from the county government who had shut down all the other county buildings and all the county public schools um, and all the court buildings. I thought, well, if we if we're telling everybody you need the sheriff because there's a legitimate security issues out there, well, you got to have the building open and you got to be responsive to people. So um, uh, but then, then there was nobody. There's no other law enforcement 
officer above me that could tell that me can I tell can't you no. do that. And can you I know, ask you, you this now? You touched on yeah. something really important. Over here, the government, you'll know about the furlough scheme. So employees across the country who've not been able to work, they are getting government money. Now, you talked there about how the, the sheriff's department employees were at home, but they were getting a salary. But lots of other people, people working for the movie theatre, you said, and other businesses were not getting a salary. Can you explain that to us? Why is there no federal government support, David, for people who've been asked to stay away from work? You know, there there was a program called the uh, the payroll protection plan, and it was just kind of hit and miss. It was depending on whether the employer wanted to file for that or not. And there was data that came out that says almost all the money that was paid out under that program went to big corporations, not the little oh, yeah. mom and pop businesses. But there was, and you know, there's a lot of people that have a natural resistance in the generation I grew up in. I'm a bit older than you that that never wanted to go on on uh, on the public dole, on welfare, on, you know, on public handout type programs. So it seems to me like in 2020, there was an effort to get people over their natural resistance to that, to like sort of take their employment away from them, but then tell them your employee can apply for the payroll protection plan and we're going to send you a stimulus check. There were a couple of stimulus checks that went out to Americans in 2020, just saying like, look, 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 you know, get getting them used to the idea of sort of a welfare check coming from the government. and But you don't have to work, but you're not going to lose your job. Yeah. Kind of get people over their natural distaste, you know, people who were raised to have a work ethic and they want to apply themselves and do something productive to shut down their business, but tell them, don't worry, you're going to get a government, government check. So there was some of that. There was the stimulus checks and then there was the payroll protection plan. And, and unfortunately, I think that has worked somewhat to get people over that natural distaste they have for you know, being on a public assistance program when it's not needed. This is important now because obviously I, I, I would have to ask you about the claims made by many of the people on this program and, and you said that you do listen in. So you'll know that some, you know, bright people like yourself, some people with some, you know, important jobs like yourself, they see this as part of a, an, a you know, a kind of an overarching agenda. The World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Great Reset Agenda. You know all about that. Is that something that you have sympathy with, you know, that that point of view, or is that just a crazy theory? What do you think? You know, just from, you know, my experience, um, you know, working in the government, I worked for the federal government before I, I worked, uh, as became the sheriff here. Um, I, what, I, what I see is that the there's a lot of selfish individuals that do things for their own benefit like say i worked in a federal law enforcement agency and there was a period of time where there was pressure to attribute everything to islamic uh supposed terror groups you know yeah. to to hamas and things like that and so if you wanted to advance your career and you were like an intelligence analyst you would start writing a bunch of reports that favored that narrative. And so it's kind of, to me, it's more a bunch of selfish individuals that they they look at what do they think will enhance their own careers at that moment. They may be an immunologist or an epidemiologist or somebody in the media or somebody who works for government. And I haven't, you know, government is so inefficient. Government has a hard time, like in the post office or the motor vehicles department here, just doing anything, even basic, simple things. So it's hard for me to wrap my my mind around the idea that the government can efficiently do an international conspiracy with any kind of, uh, you know, effectiveness. I think you more have 
individual selfish people like Bill Gates and these people that have found a way to enrich themselves. And you have like government and media individuals that say, I'm going to jump into this narrative. If I think this narrative right now, this COVID narrative of lockdowns, I think this is a good place for me to advance my career if I start pushing these same things that everyone else is. So I think it's kind of people lick their finger and stick it up into the wind, see which yeah. way is the wind blowing. And then they just kind of jump into the narrative. They dive into the chatter and, and try to uh, do things that will enhance themselves per personally. And it can kind of appear as a conspiracy, you know, but I don't think it is. And another thing is, if you don't play ball with the government authorities, you'll never get an interview again. So people yeah. don't want to say things against the government, a narrative, or you'll never get invited to a press conference again because you have the reputation for bucking the system or for questioning what the authorities tell you. So it's nice to hear of, a different perspective because I, I obviously yeah. see things a bit differently than that, but it doesn't mean that I'm right. And it's nice to hear a different and educated perspective on that. So I'm not going to argue with you and waste any time putting my points of view to you because I get to do that all the time on the program so thanks for sharing your your thoughts on 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 the world economic forum and all of that i appreciate that david there is another and, thing and, and i do think those people have their agenda you know they yeah. expanding the money supply directing things towards things that benefit them personally you know obviously yeah those are self-serving individuals and i do i too i do totally agree with that concept you know the whole group that meets at davos and everything yeah it is they're definitely individuals you know these evil people that have found way to control central banks and control the flow of money and the international monetary fund towards things that benefit them. So I totally agree with that. Brilliant stuff. Now, we've got probably about seven or eight minutes left. Thanks for your time, by the way. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great speaking with David Hathaway. He's the sheriff, of course. I should call him Sheriff uh, David Hathaway. Santa Cruz County in Arizona. Lovely that he reached out to the programme, making a name for himself, not only in Arizona, but beyond because of his sensible, logical, humanitarian approach to restrictions, basically not inflicting these crazy rules on the people of Santa Cruz uh, County. So that's brilliant. I wanted to ask you, one, one of my great friends, rest in peace, the great Jim Mars, one of the great journalists uh, of your country or any country, great writer. Jim spent many hours with me on radio programmes over the years talking about the Posse Comitatus Act and talking about the militarization of the police. It seems that, and, and of course this is not unique now to the United States, we see it here in the UK. It, would you be concerned at the, the way... Police policing has changed, particularly in the big cities, and has become more military grade in terms of not only the weaponry being used by police officers, but the tactics as well, and also the conduct of policemen and women. Now, I am sure that most cities in the United States have, have brilliant men and women who only want to do the right thing. So I'm not saying, you know, they're all like this, but we do see a kind of a more military approach to policing. And I wonder what, what your observations on that are, David. Well, it's, it's, it's really true, Richie. Like, um, now that I've been here, like, um, almost four months in this position, I've, I've understand that our funding is there's some County funding, but there's a large patchwork of, um, federal grants that are directed towards certain initiatives like the war on drugs or other things like that. And there's some state grants that are basically federal money that's been channeled to the States if they play ball and if they follow along with federal priorities and federal initiatives and the initiatives and there's those are doled out to um, local law enforcement so 
there are strings attached, you know, with all that money. And then, of course, there's equipment. I found out we have one of those big, you know, donated, you know, military vehicles from the Iraq war parked in the back back lot here. You know, all these things that are left over from, you know, the quote unquote war on terror that have been donated to local law enforcement. I've seen the uniforms change. Like when I was a kid, you know, the cop would just, you know, have the little hat on and, you know, just a normal shirt and pants and here in the U.S., you know, their gun belt and their handcuffs. But now just regular officers on patrol look like they're they're uh, members of a SWAT team, you know, the yeah. tactical vest and then the uh, the machine guns. And people used to make fun of foreign countries, the Soviet bloc countries and Latin American countries, that they would have a cop with a machine gun standing on the corner. And does that sends, you know, a negative message. It looks like a war zone. It looks like you don't live in a free country. But definitely the optics has changed to where law enforcement start looking more like an occupying force. And the funding is a lot of funding is channeled in from from uh, federal grant programs to local law enforcement. If you turn it down, you'll get a lot of pushback from local city councils and boards of supervisors because that is money that comes into the county budget to expand the employee base. And then the employees even like the fact that they get overtime to do you know, these type of programs. They get new vehicles, more equipment, uh, but then you have to comply with the federal the federal mandate. So yeah, that is definitely concerning to me. A lot of military type imagery now now within the police forces in the U.S. It's it's astonishing you saying that you've got one of these big old tank type things out the back. What did they expect you're going to do with that? How could you ever possibly need that in in uh, in Santa Cruz County? I mean, maybe there might be some scenario, but yeah. um, but, but madness really, isn't it? And we have another kind of unique problem here just because I'm situated on the border. Um, I'm sure you remember President Reagan's speech in 1987 in front of the Brandenburg Gate of the Berlin Wall talking to the Soviet bloc countries about, you know, the militarization of borders and and whatnot. Um, Now, since since I am a border county, there's a lot of pressure to militarize my county from that perspective as well, too, to send, send troops and military equipment. And, you know, locally... You know, that that creates a really bad, the optics of that is really bad. It makes it look like we live in a lower war zone and we already have an economy that's been destroyed in the last 12 months. But then yeah. people see pictures of that and they think, I don't want to go shopping there. I don't want to visit your county, even though you're higher altitude than Tucson or Phoenix and we can escape from the desert heat. Um, I don't want to go to your county because I'm assuming you you have a big crime problem. And actually, our crime statistics here are lower than the average for the state. But if they militarize my county and make it look like a war zone, then it discourages people from coming here. That's interesting, isn't it? And and the low crime stats, were, were they low on the previous sheriff's watch as well, pre-coronavirus? Yeah, they have, you know... It's rare for there to be a homicide here. We went for a period where, for six years where there was not a homicide. Fantastic. And unfortunately, we had a couple um, last year. Um, you know, but yeah, it's been, you know, uh, very, very family oriented, oriented community, uh, 95% Catholic, 5% Protestant, you know, people know their neighbors, um, very much that interconnected, um, you know, community where Sounds people idyllic. watch out for each other. Um, so it's, we don't have the drive-by shootings and the gangs and things like no. that. And yet they'll, they'll give you enough military equipment that you could probably invade a Central American country before <laughs> too long, more than likely. And, and so you re- so you said earlier the the county is really missing those books from Mexican tourists with visas you're really missing that um have you any indication yourself before we part company today 
when that will change you know I'm sure business owners in Santa Cruz are like Sheriff what's going on when is this going to change do you have any idea when it will change I just had a conference call with uh, one of our U.S. senators uh, that was recently elected yesterday just had a conference call and we were talking about that how um, it's not only the border economy, but these shoppers from Mexico, they, they spend money on the hospitality industry. They drive up. We have a major freeway that goes up to Tucson and Phoenix. They patronize the hotels, the restaurants, movie theaters, gyms, golf courses, and whatnot. And, um, you know, so we're losing on average $55 million a day. If you look at the whole Southwest border, all States on the border. And he said, he didn't know, but, um, he asked my assessment and I told him, yeah, I think it's time to open up. And he said, uh, you know, well, what about health concerns of, you know, people coming in that are, these are the legal tourist visa holders that aren't being tested. And I told him, well, there's hundreds of thousands of people every day that cross anyway, because U.S. citizens can still cross. So on the southwest border, we have about half a million people a day going into Mexico and half a million coming back, coming back from Mexico. Wow. And there's no test or temperature checks or, you know, PCR test or anything like that. If you're going to, if you're going to prevent people from crossing for that reason, because they're going to patronize patronize repatriate dollars in the U.S., you might as well put troops on the border between Illinois and Missouri or yeah. Texas and Oklahoma or something like madness, that if you madness, think yeah, yeah. that the movement of people um, is is uh, a health risk, then, you know, you should not be a hypocrite and just, you know, prevent people from going anywhere. And obviously, I'm not suggesting that, but no, I told no. him my advice is to to let people start, you know, let, let the free enterprise continue, let people start uh, traveling to do their shopping. Brilliant. I'm guessing that if somehow the future, Mrs. Allen and I were to get a plane ticket to, uh, to Arizona, maybe to Phoenix, and then uh, head down south to your county, I guess if we were not to return home to, to the UK after 90 days, as we're supposed to do, I'm guessing by the sounds of things, Sheriff David Hathaway is not going to be banging down my door. <laughs> you might have a couple of illegal aliens uh, in in, uh, in Santa Cruz County right soon. It sounds uh, brilliant having a sheriff like you. I mean that as well. Do say um, hello to uh, Mrs. Hathaway, by the way. You did say she listens in, so... Give her, um, yeah. give her her regards. And David, and her, you know, you, you can come. Her sorry, go ahead. Her family's from England, from Yorkshire, and so, and my my family ancestors from Scotland and Wales. So, um, yeah. And if I could give out a, an email address, I have a real simple email address. It's just Sheriff David Hathaway at gmail dot com. If anyone wants to reach out to me, do say hello. Sheriff David Hathaway at gmail.com. Do say hello to uh, the sheriff. If you go on Twitter, you'll see loads of lovely comments. People delighted to hear you. Wishing, of course, that your common sense and pragmatic approach was um, you know, that we could have it here and wherever people are listening tonight. When I say there's an open door to you, there is. Come back anytime you want to talk about these issues and other issues. Thanks for your candor, uh, David, and thanks for gracing us with your presence tonight. All the best and speak real soon. Thank you, Richie, very much. Thank you very much, Sheriff David Hathaway, Santa Cruz County in Arizona. What a gentleman. Lovely to, ha to have him on the programme uh, tonight. And what a refreshing change that is. Uh, a lawman, a man responsible for law enforcement. I won't be finding anybody without masks. I won't be telling my staff they have to, vac have to have a vaccine. I won't be doing any of that. If people want to open their businesses, I'm not going to tell them to close their 
uh, their business. How, how how cool is that? Great stuff. Thanks for the comments, by the way, that came in uh, during that. Thanks to, to uh, Spiro. He's been in touch with me uh, during that segment as well. Spiro, of course, is, is in Arizona, uh, as is his dad, Lakey. So uh, hi to both of them. Great stuff. Sheriff David Hathaway at gmail.com. Do! It'll only take you a minute. Send him a quick email to say you heard him on the programme and that you enjoyed listening to him. I'm sure he'll be glad to uh, uh, to hear from you. That's more or less it, by the way, for Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday's programme. Yes, getting behind myself there. Uh, thanks uh, again to all of our guests. We uh, we had five guests tonight, didn't we? We had five. We, uh, we had five. I'm sure we had five. We had Lenora and Liam, and we had Orion, and Henry was in the room as well. I'm sure Henry was in the room. Uh, thanks to Lenora and, and Liam for talking about Orion. Uh, and and his issues there, and good luck to them going forward. Uh, sounds like they're brilliant. They they won't have any problems. They're absolutely brilliant people, by the sounds of it. And thanks again to uh, Sheriff David Hathaway of Santa Cruz County in Arizona. I haven't a Scooby Doo who's on with me tomorrow. That's how organised I am. But I know there is a guest. Uh, I, I'll have a, a news roundup, and I'm sure uh, there is a guest. Uh, I, I want to give a plug to Sunday Morning Melodies. Boy, I don't do that often enough. That returned last Sunday. Every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time, I sit down in studio with an armful of songs that happened to be on my mind that weekend, and I played them, and we have a chat, you and me. It's not great radio. It's not anything there that's going to blow your mind, but it's good fun, and it's kind of old school, old school Sunday radio. So uh, if that's your thing, your bag, tune in every Sunday at 10 o'clock. The only place to hear that programme, by the way, is on richieallen.co.uk. That's 10 o'clock Sunday. That's UK time. It's good fun. All righty. Going to close out the programme with something a bit mellow. Uh, This song has been on my mind today for some reason. It's Chris Isaac and Wild at Heart. That was the film. Wild at Heart. I know Laura Dern was in it. Was Nicolas Cage in it? Was Willem Dafoe in Wild at Heart? But this was uh, the song from it. It's Wicked Game from none other than Chris Isaac. Thanks again to all my guests. Thanks to you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We will chat with each other again tomorrow at five. Bye. Bye.